What's up, this Shaq Barrett, outside linebacker of the Tampa Bay Bucks, and you're listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. This is the fifth episode of Season 3. Today, we're going to be talking about rookies, guys like Brees Hall, Drake London, Malik Willis, and many other studs that are not being talked about enough. Joining me today to break this all down is our first returning guest of the season. He is a Rutgers grad, formerly of Number Fire and PFF, who is now the director of both Dank Stats and Analytics at Fantasy Pros, known for being devilishly handsome with one of the best years. Fantasy, oh, did I say fantasy pros? Yeah, that's right. No worries. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Known for being devilishly handsome with one of the best beards in the industry with over 70,000 followers. He is fantasy points' Scott Barrett. I cannot believe I messed that up. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks for the beard compliment. Uh, I've just been like so going crazy grinding uh, the various articles. You should have seen me two days ago. I was. Uh, the girl I've been seeing described it as a uh, homeless chic. Homeless. So I had that. I had that going from there. Well, I I've been so busy the last couple of weeks that that I actually said that you're from Fantasy Pros and not Fantasy. <laughs> I did the same thing earlier. I was looking you up on LinkedIn and I I looked up Fantasy Pros and I was like, what are you doing? I was like, I know I've been reading your Fantasy Points articles for the last couple of years. Like, how how do we not have this down? But one real question before we get into this. You said that you were like a was it a homeless chic? Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. Before, so what's the most amount of time you spent in one day, like writing an article or multiple articles? Like, what's like the most grind day you've ever had in your career writing? In oh, it's 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 all day, every day. There, there's been days where I just never went to sleep and I just kept kept writing. I mean, like, I, the thing is, like, I can't ever complain because I love what I do so much, and so I just like enjoy it. There, there were definitely times a couple years ago where just uh you know i'm writing and then i keep writing and then the sun comes up and it's like uh, whatever i want to bang this out and I'll, I'll keep writing but uh yeah during the season it's basically just uh wake up write a little bit of food here or there keep writing go to sleep and you just you just relive that monday through friday or saturday oh well for the people that don't know scott writes a gigantic dfs write-up at least and that's just one of your articles that you write for fantasy pros every week in season like how long does that like that whole big article put together for every like the entire you know dfs slate does that take like hours upon hours upon hours for a few days or does it come together a little faster now that you've been doing it for so long yeah it, it takes all week uh i i get to steal from some of the, the articles i wrote earlier in the week which is a, a big help uh, and like, I mean, like what I'm doing is, is not sustainable again. I love yeah. it, but it's just like not good on my health and like well being. And, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's a really long grind during the season. And, and that article also comes out during the postseason. So, uh, uh, I was lucky to find a hidden gem in Jake Tribby up and coming star in this industry. So he helped me out a lot with that article. And so hopefully that's going to be a little bit more of a team effort moving forward, just because you, you know, you write so much it can kind of hurt you in terms of the analysis even uh, just because you don't have enough time to look at all the dank stats and look at what's predictive. Uh, so hopefully he'll help me out with the writing edge and I could just say, 
hey, can you give me a write-up on this guy? Here's why I like him. And, and that's what he did last year. And I, I, I thought it was great and it, it worked really well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that it definitely worked really well. I think it was just as good as ever. The only other thing, actually, can I shout this out real quick? I know this yeah. isn't you, but I know we're both fans of this. Wes Huber, the most underrated article in the entire fantasy football industry in his shell thing every week. That's not disrespect to you or anyone else. Mm-hmm. Wes is just the man when it comes to that article. That is the number one thing I will pay for in season more than like anything else on the planet. So I love that. Like I like Wes Huber compliments more than I like compliments for me. He's a, another hidden gem. Uh, he was at PFF. He was one of the guys, you know, recording the advanced data uh, and, and player grades and things like that. And all he wanted to do was write. And so I left PFF. I started this company uh, and he reached out to me. He's like, hey, man, I'd really like to give uh give a shot at, at writing and it's like all right i'll give you one shot let's see what you could do and he writes the best article ever and it's like all right i'll give you one more shot let's see what you could do the second best article and he just like kept hitting home runs and over and over again we were like we can't hire anyone full-time year one you know the, the cost of the site and doing all these other stuff and he just really blew us away and we immediately jumped on that opportunity hired him full-time he needs more eyeballs on his work but uh like I don't know how to do that, but I, I, every single week, it's just like, Hey, this is one of the best articles I ever read by Wes Huber. Check it out. So if you're, if you're listening to this, definitely give Wes Huber a follow. He's, he's my favorite uh, fantasy writer in the space today. Yeah. He was like, he was actually like the guy that I felt like was calling Cordero Patterson, you know, before Cordero Patterson was a thing early in the season. Like I remember reading him in the articles and I remember being like, Wes, like, come on, man. Like, Cordero Patterson are we serious and then I was still hyping up Mike Davis at that point yeah (laughs) yeah Mike Davis was like my favorite running back in the NFL at that point after what he did last year so enough is enough of that Wes Huber if you're listening to this you are the man more competent should go to him all day but speaking of other stars you know upcoming stars future stars stars well that will be soon of the past how about this draft class and what better way to start than the premium position in any draft class, which is the quarterbacks? Not exactly the premium in this class, but who is your number one quarterback in this class, NFL-wise, fantasy-wise, anything of sorts? Yeah, so so let me just say, I have a model for running back, wide receiver, and tight end. I, I really trust it. I think it's really good. I, the track record and hit rate on that is really strong. I do not have a model for quarterback. I tried really hard. And I just did not see anything meaningfully predictive. So I, I really just abandoned that project. And uh, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett, who talk about, you know, they're not often the smartest man in the room, but they're the best investor in the room because always. And the reason for that is they understand the, uh, the edges, the, the circle of their own competency, and they don't step outside of that. And so that's really what I did with the quarterback position where it's just like, hey, this is beyond my abilities. I, I don't really trust myself to come up with hyper accurate rankings like I do with the other position. So I just sort of wash my hands of it. And what I do is I, I look at projected draft capital and I, I talk to uh, the trusted film experts at our company like Greg Cassell, like Wes Huber. And then I have a heavy bias in favor of more hyper mobile quarterbacks, which obviously, you know, the Konami code is real and it's important. And so this season, uh, yeah, uh, uh, just, just talking to film experts, Malik Willis is Greg Cassell's guy. He said he is as a passer, 
maybe a little bit better than Lamar Jackson, maybe a little bit better than Jalen Hurts. And as a runner, he's right in between those two. So that's that's easy for me. And he's already, you know, either the top guy or damn close to the top guy in terms of expected draft capital. So he's my clear QB1. I'm valuing him as sort of like when Jalen Hurts came out, but with round one draft capital. So so a, a good chunk higher. And uh, the, where it gets tricky is, is do you take him above Brees Hall in a super flex? And I, I just can't really answer that now. We'll, we'll have to see what happens with, with uh, where he goes in the draft. If it's late round one, probably not. If it's top 10, yeah, I, you could, I could talk myself into that. Definitely, definitely. He's also my QB one, and I think that I've I've always been you know a little biased towards these running quarterbacks. But I don't know. I think we've seen a lot of guys that these Konami quarterbacks that can really run, you know, eventually find some success, even if they're not the greatest passers. Like again, I'm a definitely a Jalen Hurts stand here. That even if he doesn't throw Same. the ball the best, guys that can run like that, I just think are so great for the NFL, and I think are so valuable to NFL teams. And we see guys that have that level of rushing upside consistently make teams better, even though they shouldn't be that good time and time again. Again, a great example last year, Jalen Hurts. A great example this coming year, Trey Lance. Going to be similar. Trey Lance cannot get enough of the hype. But Meek Willis is the QB1 for me. I absolutely love him, and I think that he could be very special. Obviously a little bit raw as a passer, but his athleticism with a good landing spot, I think anything is possible. But outside of Malik Willis, who do you think is the best rookie QB, at least fantasy-wise, this year? Is there a guy that sticks out? And I know that it is a little bit, you know, on whether the guys get a starting job or not, but if every, you know, rookie is going to get a starting job, a fair shot, who do you think is the guy that exceeds the most fantasy-wise? Yeah, so again, there's a heavy bias in favor of hypermobile quarterbacks. And if you look at the top quarterbacks over the past, since like 2014, by rushing fantasy points per game, the top season is 2016 Lamar Jackson. The next season is Lamar Jackson 2017. And then Malik Willis 2020. So really speaking towards his upside. And then it's Jalen Hurts 2019. Then it's Malik Willis again, 2021. Behind him, Lamar Jackson, 2015, then Dak Prescott, 2014, which, by the way, it's like really weird. He's been so underutilized as a runner at the NFL level because uh, massive Konami code upside, at least from what he put up in, in college. But right behind that 2014 Dak Prescott season, so still in the top 10, is Sam Howell's 2021. He averaged 14.7 rushing fantasy points per game, 1,100 rushing yards. Uh, and then the season right after that is Desmond Ritter's 2020, only 700 rushing yards, but 14.2 rushing fantasy points per game. So um, who do I like more from a rushing perspective? I, I guess you have to give the edge to Desmond Ritter, uh, especially because he had one of the best ever 40-year dashes of any com uh, quarterback in combine history. But I talked to all of my go-to film experts and every single one of them had Sam Howell ahead of Desmond Ritter. They, they all sort of said the same thing where it's before the ball is thrown, Desmond Ritter is the best quarterback in the class, mental processing, seeing the, the open man, uh, working through his progressions, but he's just very inaccurate. Uh, and so that was enough of an edge to me to give Sam, to put Sam Howell at QB two. And then, uh, what everyone says about Kenny Pickett is, okay, maybe he's the most NFL ready, but he has zero upside. And so uh, fantasy football is a game dominated by upside. So 
I'm okay sliding him into QB four behind uh, Ritter and Howell. Yeah, I was I was pretty close. Howell's up there for me, but personally, I had to go Ritter, and I think I was blown away by the fact that like he had a faster forty time than Jalen Hurts. And you see, like I mean, everyone has probably watched Jalen Hurts. And I know I'm not going to keep talking about him at every part of the <laughs> podcast tonight, but we saw how fast like you know he looks in game. And Desmond Ritter ran a four five two compared to a four five nine for Hertz. I mean, that's a big difference, especially when you get down into those lower speeds. So I think with Ritter, I think like you said that he probably is one of the best quarterbacks in this class before you know he throws the ball. But I think that you know I hope that he gets a good landing spot and that he can you know really succeed in the NFL. But I mean that rushing upside is I think it, I'd compare him somewhere to like someone like Justin Fields that I think is going to be really really fast a little bit. I know he's not the same prospect or nearly as close to as good of a passer as Fields, but I think as, as a rushing upside at least I think Ritter definitely could be that guy for me. But let's shift to running backs. You know this is where your bread and butter is between running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends with your model. Outside, I mean, sorry, Brees Hall seems to be the consensus running back one. Is he your consensus one? I'm pretty sure he is. But if he is for you, what are his best landing spots? What are the biggest places that Brees Hall can really succeed well in year one? Uh, yeah, so this is this is a weird year because I'm not really seeing a lot of exciting landing spots for the running backs. Uh, the, the two ones – everyone talks about is, is Atlanta, which I think is a great spot. And yep. then, uh, Buffalo, uh, which I think could be a great spot. Uh, that's a little more ambiguous just because Josh Allen historically never targeted running backs, hogged all the rushing touchdowns to himself, except for the tail end of last season where Devin Singletary was a bell cow and he was a hyper productive bell cow. He's putting up top three numbers at the position. Um, I think the great thing about Brees Hall is he's very landing spot independent. It doesn't really matter where he goes. He's not game script dependent uh, because there's no question marks with regard to what he brings as a pass catcher like there is with Kenneth Walker, who's probably the superior runner, but we just didn't see him catch passes in college. So if Kenneth Walker goes to the Atlanta Falcons, a bad team, you know, that really hurts him because they're going to abandon the run when they're behind by multiple scores. Whereas with a Brees Hall, uh, you know, they're down multiple scores. That's okay. He's, he's going to be peppered with targets. And if the offensive line's bad, that's okay. You can use him via the pass as an extension of the run. And so uh, I guess Atlanta would be the best landing spot, but with him, I don't think it matters too much. And that's why he is the consensus RB1. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that, I think, like you said, I think you made a great point that the landing spot isn't going to matter as much because I think the talent is going to immediately, you know, display on the field. I think personally, I mean, I love the fits with, I mean, the Texans, I think the bills would be awesome to see the Falcons obviously, but I think one underrated one that considering they now have two first round picks and they're missing one of the most explosive weapons in the entire NFL now, I don't know. I think the Chiefs could be an interesting landing spot because they don't have a true go-to guy. And I love the thought of maybe Brees Hall with them. Maybe they shift their offense a little bit to be a little bit more run heavy, take some steam off Patrick Mahomes and open up the field more with Brees Hall, especially with that offensive line. Like, my goodness, that is one of the best offensive lines in the league. You put Brees Hall there with one of those two first-round picks maybe. I think that there could be some some very interesting things in that backfield. And, you know, maybe that's my heart hurting that they didn't draft DeAndre Swift you know, instead of Kyle Regulaire, and I'm hoping that maybe they do this and really unlock the offense. But do you think that's a real possibility, though, considering the fact that, you know, this team has a great offensive line and 
Brees Hall could really unlock this offense without Tyreek Hill. Do you do you see that same way? Or are you feeling a little differently? No. So so Clyde Edwards Elaire was like the biggest L of my career. I I had him like RB five in that class, and then. I sort of just went crazy based on landing spot. I'm like, they're going to score 60 touchdowns. Uh, Andy Reid said he's better than Brian Westbrook. Like he's, he's going to be a top five fantasy running back, obviously. And so that was the biggest L of my career. That was probably the biggest L of uh, their GM's career. So I don't see them uh, drafting a running back that high again for, for some time. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think that's fair, but I don't but know. I mean, that argument, all the arguments you're making were the arguments they made when they took CEH in round one. Yeah. And and I, I get that. It's, it's you know, teams can just play cover two against them all day because there's no running game. Yeah. Um, and so maybe it makes Patrick Mahomes' life a little bit easier, puts more pressure on the defense. Uh, I, I certainly get it. I mean, what what would have happened if, if Kansas City took DeAndre Swift or Jonathan Taylor? Like, damn. Damn. And they'd probably have another ring. Tom Brady might not get seven of that case. So I'm happy right. that we drafted Clyde Edwards Lair um, for that sake, at least. But Brees Hall's great. But who's the next like guy that really like sticks out to you in this class? It doesn't necessarily need to be your running back, too. But who's another guy that really catches your eye outside of Brees Hall? No, it's 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 only the RB2. It's it's Kenneth Walker. Uh, I mean, look at Michigan State in 2020. They went two and five. He averaged just 91.7 rushing yards per game. Uh, They hadn't had a 1,000-yard rusher since 2014. And then Walker transfers is immediately the starter. The team goes 11-2, 1,600 rushing yards, 18 rushing touchdowns. And, like, what changed? Nothing. It was the same offense, the same offensive line, the same coaches. Uh, They didn't have a single player drafted the year prior. And uh, he finished – sixth in Heisman Trophy uh, in Heisman Trophy voting. And it was certainly warranted. He smashed by all of the metrics that are most important and most predictive to my model. The only thing he didn't have going for him, the only question mark is he didn't catch passes. And so this has been a big debate on Twitter. And, you know, just because he didn't do it doesn't mean he can't do it. So you have to ask why didn't he do it? Like this is this this question is of massive importance. Targets are worth 2.64 times as much as a carry. My strategy in drafts is I'm bell cow or bust. I want running backs who are heavily used as both a runner and a receiver. You know, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor finally last year. Uh, those are the running backs I want. And if you're not that, I don't want to chase you. I don't want to waste draft capital on scat backs or early down workhorses. And so why wasn't he asked to do that? You have to understand he was coming from Wake Forest under Dave Clawson since Clawson joined the team in 2014. They ranked dead last in the power five in running back receptions and receiving yards, 2.5 times below the league average rate in running back receiving yards. And Michigan State, to a lesser extent, also doesn't use their running backs in the passing game. So that's, that's an excuse for him. And you also can look back at the track record of running backs. There's Darren Sproles, Le'Veon Bell, Ray Rice, LaDainian Tomlinson, Jonathan Taylor, Melvin Gordon, A.J. Dillon, number of running backs who were never used as pass catchers in college, but who were in the NFL. And this all factors into my model. But one of the most predictive things for uh, a running back 
in the uh, to catch passes in the NFL is are they an elite runner? Because at least that we know is going to get them on the field. And so I'm I'm very cautiously optimistic on Kenneth Walker's bell cow potential. And to me, he's the clear RB two. And then after that, there's a massive tear fall off. Okay, I like that. Do you on that same note with with Kenneth Walker himself? Like I know I've seen a lot of like the Le'Veon Bell comparisons, and I know it's partially you know the Michigan State thing. But in what you've seen, and you know with your film experts and stuff like that, like do you see that the Le'Veon Bell comparison, or do you have a comparison, you know, by chance at all for Kenneth Walker that you've seen? Uh, truthfully, I don't think I do. Yeah, uh, I'm sure Graham Barfield has some great ones. Um, I don't know that I saw the Le'Veon Bell thing. The he had a really rare, unique patience behind the line of scrimmage to to let plays set up. That comp gets thrown out a lot, but I, I'm not sure if I've seen that. And a rare rare patience to sign his contract. We saw how that worked out. <laughs> I just had to crack the joke. But the guy, the guy I had here that has been really intriguing to me, and maybe some of these you know YouTube people and stuff get me a little excited. But I like Pierre Strong. He's a guy that I like that I, I started watching and I was like, man, this guy is very interesting, you know, in the late rounds. He's not my running back too. It's just a guy that was really interesting. I figured you'd say Kenneth Walker. So I said I would change it up. Pierre Strong, 5'11", 211 pounds, 4'3", speed. He's got great explosiveness. He had great vision. I felt like he moved well laterally. His route running was great, but he does, you know, run up a little, a little too uptight, didn't play in a great conference. So I think that like that also, you know, knocks him, but I don't know something about those guys that, you know, have a little bit of power that can really run similar to like an Eli Mitchell. And I know we're always trying to find that next, whoever broke out the last year, but Pierre strong with that speed to me is someone that's interesting. Does your, was your model high on him, low on him? Like how did they feel in relativity to how other people feel about Pierre strong? Yeah, so the athleticism model really liked Pierre Strong. Like you said, 437, 40-yard dash, also a 75th percentile three-cone. So he has that lateral agility. He was top, uh, top 75th percentile or above in, in the jumps. So really a, a freak athlete. Uh, production model, uh, there are a number of, of metro, uh, efficiency and production uh, variables the model liked, but it slammed him because he's a, a small school running back. And my model has a pretty big bias against small school players. And you know what, if I'm being honest, so do I. So um, penalized him for that, but let's see where he ended up ranking. Uh, he was my RB 10 overall. Okay. That's probably right about where, right about in lining with consensus. That's not too high or too low, I would say. So that's interesting, but he's definitely a guy that's that's really good for me. But you know, while you have your model up, who's a guy that's really underrated? A guy that you felt like you're above, you know, how other people feel on him in generally, and a player that you know really is catching your eye or your model is catching your model's eye. Yeah, so I, I think I have a fairly unique tier after the top two. It goes Brian Robinson, Rashad White, Damian Pierce, Tyler Algier, Isaiah Spiller, who I'm a lot lower on. Uh, and that's the next year. And it's not a very exciting one. Like the, the best one there to me is Brian Robinson, who I said is basically Alexander Madison 2.0. Um, but production model really liked his bell cow upside. And then I had Jim Nagy on my podcast, director of the senior bowl, who said he talked to personnel in Alabama who told him they thought Brian Robinson was better than Najee Harris. And he was like, I know that because I asked them that because I felt the same way. 
So yeah, maybe he's, there's some underrated upside there. Damian Pierce, I mean, both Robinson and Pierce bottom five percentile three cones, which is not at all good. Not, not great athletes, but um, I really like the upside argument on Damian Pierce. Uh, my model crushed him, but Lanzier line was quoted as saying, Basically, the fact that he didn't have twice as many touches was a fireable offense for the coaching staff. And that coaching staff did get fired before the last game of the season. Yeah. And so if I just double his touches and his his production in his final season, he uh, jumps all the way up to RB3 and fairly close to Kenneth Walker. So, you know, I always gravitate towards upside. So I just kind of like that that upside argument for him. And Rashad White, there's a similar one. Really good athlete, comparable to Pierre Strong and uh, really impressive receiving efficiency metrics. So maybe some bell cow potential there as well. Definitely. Rashad White's actually the guy that I had as, as my most underrated. And I think especially is his RAS score. And for people that don't know, that means relative athletic score, um, testing, you know, all the different athletic metrics possible, combining that to create a score, pretty self-explanatory. But over the last, since 1987, Rashad White has the 21st best RAS score out of 1,624 running backs. And he has the number wow. 21 all-time out of 1,624. His athleticism is purely off the charts. And you combine that with what you said, that he has the receiving ability. Man, I, I think that there, there could be some big potential for Rashad White. I love these guys that are super athletic. And the fact that he was that great, he had a 9.88 out of 10, pretty close to a perfect score. I mean, he's, he's big. He's six foot. He runs a 4.48, 40-yard dash. I mean, I think that he could be the man at this level. I think he's someone that people aren't talking about a lot enough. And I think that he's someone that is going to be very interesting. And if he gets a good landing spot – Man, I think that big things could be happening with him coming this. But once again, let's shift to wide receivers. Who was your wide receiver one in this class? Oh, God. Yeah, so I, I spent all day just staring at my top three wide receivers and trying to rank them. And I, I feel like I, I sort of gave in to cowardice, just expected draft capital, maybe – uh, but it's right now it's Garrett Wilson, wide receiver one. My my production model had him wide receiver four, but basically tied at three with Chris Olave. The thing about him is he just didn't have any red flags. Drake London was my production model's wide receiver one by a margin, but serious damning red flags. Chris Olave, serious damning red flags. Jamison Williams, Traylon Burks, it's the same thing. And so he was just sort of the cleanest prospect of the bunch. I, I don't think he had – Drake London's upside, which I, I would put on par with like DeAndre Hopkins coming out of Clem, Clemson type upside, but Drake's red flags were scary to me. And uh, luckily Garrett Wilson was, was really clean as a prospect. So just by default, I pushed them up to wide receiver one. I love that. I love that. Drake London is my wide receiver one. And I think the bigger you. you have more balls than me, apparently. <laughs> well, I think there's, there's some people like, you know, how you have people that you, you really trust. I mean, there's multiple people that I really trust in this industry that had, you know, Drake London as their wide receiver one. That didn't automatically mean I had to, but I wasn't convinced. You know, I was similar to you, and I don't, I don't know if I necessarily have more balls, but I was, like, not convinced on Drake London for a long time. I think one of my go-to people that I felt like has been great for me for a while is Matt Harmon. I mean, we all know Matt Harmon. We all know reception perception. And Drake London was just ridiculous 
ridiculous in reception perception. So many people are saying this guy can't separate. He runs bad routes. But he was 73rd percentile among all charted college guys um, in separation versus man. He was 93rd percentile versus zone, 68th versus press. But the thing I loved about that stat right there is 93rd versus zone. I mean, he's a guy that a huge guy that's pretty fast but doesn't have necessarily that top end speed but those are the guys that usually succeed against man the contested catch guys that you know do it they're not the guys that you know sit down in zones like your cooper cups and your slot guys of the world that just destroy zones so i think the fact that he's already doing really well against zones and then the his potential against man i think for that reason alone i think that you know he's my wide receiver one along with the production that he's had so quickly i like that he's a former basketball player i think he's definitely very interesting for me but I think he has a super wide range of outcomes, though. I, I yeah. would not say he's the safest prospect. Wide receiver one for me does not mean safest guy whatsoever. I, I want to put him wide receiver one. I mean, I still have time to change it. I still have another few hours before or it'll be published tomorrow morning. But uh, I, I like I said, I've just been waffling back on it. Um, red flags include uh, a high percentage of his catches coming on manufactured production, a.k.a. screens. And then minus those, a really high alarming percentage of his catches coming on contested catches that puts him in a, a, a list of names with only the biggest busts of the past four seasons. Uh, Hakeem Butler, Denzel Mims, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Jalen Rieger. Uh, uh, he didn't run uh, the 40-yard dash. He didn't run any event at his pro day. Uh, so questionable, potentially athleticism. But again, like my model loved him said he was wide receiver one. I loved him on tape. I absolutely loved him on tape. Uh, I watched Trelon Burks and Drake London back to back. And I said, it was like watching Geely two and Godfather two back to back. Uh, but here's where things get tricky. It's like, I have my trusted list of film experts. You had, like you have Matt Harmon and Mike Renner was like Drake London wide receiver one, my buddy, Brett Drake London wide receiver one. You talk to another guy, I don't know if I could throw out his name, but his comp for Drake London was Hakeem Butler. Another one said he's going to be a tight end in a few years. Greg Cassell said George Pickens' tape was considerably better. Alec Pierce's tape was better. And so, you know, I I just don't have – that doesn't make me feel good going against uh, the tape god, Greg Greg Cassell. But, uh, yeah, I think that speaks to what you're talking about. It's a wide range of outcomes, and that's the case for – every wide receiver in this class, but I guess less so Garrett Wilson. Yeah, but there's the thing is like I talked about is like he's so great in a lot of metrics. There's a lot of guys that you know that love him. Reception perception loves him. But then you have a tweet from yourself that I have here that like like you said, like the top wide receiver seasons of like contested catches in power five conferences, the top five are Nikhil Harry, JJ Arcega Whiteside, Jalen Rager, Drake London, and Denzel Mims. Like anytime that you have those five guys on a list, like like Jake London on a list with those guys, like that's scary. And then mm-hmm. also the fact that, you know, Jalen Rager and Nikhil Harry were both guys that were really considered the wide receiver one of their draft class by a lot of people. I think that's what definitely makes things scary. There's so many arguments for it and against it. I'm still going to ride with Drake London and hope for the best, but the the outcomes are very, very wide on this. But wait, real quick before we move on, is there a place or a a certain team that you think that Drake London would really succeed with more than others? Yeah. When I was watching his tape, I could not stop thinking about him with Zach Wilson. So something he does really well that all the USC wide receivers do really well 
is is incredible improvisational ability. You see the quarterback roll out, scram, scramble, uh, evade pressure, and he finds a way to work his way back towards the quarterback and get open in the process. I think that works perfectly with Zach Wilson. Uh, his massive catch radius gives a unique dimension that Elijah Moore doesn't really offer. Uh, his his ability as a deep threat, one of the best uh, deep threats, winning in a different way than a Jamison Williams. Uh, so I, I think that would be the perfect landing spot. Jets at 10 would be awesome. And then if he goes top 15, I'll probably just bump him back up to wide receiver one, even if Jamison Williams goes before him, Garrett Wilson goes before him, they have the better draft capital. Um, I could see myself doing that. Do you think there's a real chance he falls outside the top 15? I've yet to see a mock of him outside the top 15, but maybe, maybe I'm just missing the mocks that, that don't like Trey Clendon. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough to say, but, but it seems like he is a lock for top 15 wide receiver three, uh, but we'll see. But is there, is there another guy that you think about in this draft class that like has a wide range of outcomes that you think is more overrated than some other players? Yeah, that's definitely Traylon Burks. Um, like I said, I, I didn't really love his tape. Uh, a lot of the film, my go-to film experts, Lance Zierlein says he, he's AJ Brown with more wiggle. Danny Kelly says he's uh, a bigger Debo Samuel. Greg Cassell comped him to both of those wide receivers. And then I have Jim Nagy on who says he's a lesser version of LaVisca Chenault. And if you look at his production profile, it's nearly identical to LaVisca Chenault. It's better in many ways. And the model bore that out uh, against better competition, better numbers. Um, but it was flawed in the same way that, that LaVisca Chenault was flawed. It was that he had a ton of manufactured production, a uh, really high percentage of his yards coming on the go route, which is far more a college route than an NFL route and on screens. And then beyond that, he was just like never running routes as a wide receiver and asked to beat wide receivers, uh, cornerbacks to get the ball. And so we don't really have a sample of him facing cornerbacks in coverage, let alone cornerbacks in press, let alone cornerbacks on the outside because, you know, slot production in, in college is far less meaningful. It's far less predictive because you're often up against, you know, linebackers with plenty of space to work. You're not up against sticky nickel cornerbacks. So uh, I said a very fraudulent production profile, uh, certainly a very risky one. And, and I really think that's the case. Yeah. I but agree. again, he could be AJ Brown with more wiggle. He could be a plus size Debo Samuel, but it, that, that just speaks to this class and how boomer bust it is. Definitely. And and I agree with you there. Um, I think Traylon Burks, again, that's another one that like in the, the routes that he was charted on again, bringing up reception perception, like he was in the 11th percentile charted versus against man. Like that is awful. You know, 42nd against press 69th against zone. And it's not what you want from a guy that like people still have as the wide receiver one you know, over Garrett Wilson, over Drake London. It's not everybody anymore as it was, you know, a couple months ago. But, you know, that's just not, you know, what you want to see from guys like that. So I think that definitely scares me. And I think, that, like you said, there's definitely a wide, wide range of outcomes. But that, I don't know, that seems to be this draft more than other drafts. And I think that's one of the tough things with evaluating this year's draft class. We don't have a Kyle Pitts type unicorn or Jamar Chase kind of guy that we just know is going to be really great no matter where they go. And I think that's what makes this, you know, so difficult. Um, but I think I agree with you that Traylon Burke's definitely a guy that I think that people are a little too high on, but like that doesn't necessarily mean that I think he's going to be a bust. I just think that 
there's a lot to look at that makes you kind of, you know, leaves, leaves you up at night a little bit, if I may. But who's a guy that leaves you up at night in a good way? A guy that's a little bit underrated that your model likes more than other people that gets you a little bit more excited. And that also keeps you up when you stop thinking about Traylon Burks. Yeah, so that's that's definitely Justin Ross, the most underrated wide receiver in the class. And, and this sort of speaks to my general draft philosophy. I have probably the highest risk tolerance in the industry, or at least I spend the most time talking about why you should have a high risk tolerance in fantasy. Basically, what swings leagues are those top power law players who score the most fantasy points like Christian McCaffrey in 2019 was worth the second, third, and fourth best players in fantasy combined. Wow. So I'm always chasing upside. And with Justin Ross in particular, it's a, a fairly easy argument to make. As a freshman, competing for targets alongside Hunter Renfro, T. Higgins, Amari Rogers, didn't start a single game, had 50% fewer routes than the wide receiver three, led the team in receiving yards with over 1,000. He had the best ever uh, yards per route run season in PFF history. It's if you age adjust it and adjust it for target competition, it's basically him and Jamar Chase and Jackson Smith and Jigba and no other seasons touching that. If you look at his first two seasons, you compare them to T Higgins. It's basically uh, 90% of T Higgins production on 90% of T Higgins routes. And he's almost a full year younger so it's like, that's the upside argument. It's like, hey, are we drafting uh, T Higgins again at this like minuscule price tag? Of course, the argument against him. So he wasn't good last year. I, that's fine. I'm inclined to throw out the entirety of last season from my sample because he played with a broken bone in his foot. It severely limited his mobility. He had a custom orthotic that, you know, it's like difficult to stand on, let alone run a curl route. Uh, and he had bottom five levels of quarterback play, and he missed the entirety of the offseason after that spinal surgery. So what this hinges on is that spinal surgery. Is Can he ever go back to being the player he was? That's an open question. Many NFL teams, per sources, say no. Uh, Dane Brugler, and many NFL teams don't want to take the risk on him, where the risk is just one hit, hit the wrong way, he could be – paralyzed or worse. That's what multiple neurosurgeons and doctors told him. They told him to never play football again. Dane Brugler is projecting uh, round seven draft capital. So wow. if he goes round five, this is a player who could bump all the way into my top 12, maybe even above that, but uh, certainly just extremely risky. Um, if he goes UDFA, uh, yeah, maybe maybe it's time to write him off. If he goes round seven, I'll, I'll try and buy him on the cheap in every in every uh, dynasty league I'm in. But uh, that's the player who you put it well. He keeps me up at night because the the that range of outcomes is so so wide and vast, and the upside is so alluring and attractive. Definitely. Do you think so? Let me just get this for for clarification. Draft capital here for where he goes is going to matter. He is underrated in your eyes. But where he gets drafted, whether you know it's round five, that's good. But if he's a UDFA, like that's going to be pretty important for you into how much you acquire of him. Or even if he's a UDFA, you think you'll still be getting some shares? I know uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, luckily this is going to be baked into the price. Unless yep. you know uh, this clip goes viral or something, I don't think 
many people are going to be holding on to Justin Ross or buying Justin Ross shares if he's a UDFA. Yep. Uh, so, so hopefully if it even is worst case scenario that that gets factored into the price, but uh, yeah, I mean, draft capital is the most predictive variable at any position. So uh, a lot hinges on that. And, you know, players aren't, I mean, teams aren't going to care if they cut a UDFA who doesn't contribute on special teams, which he doesn't, they're, they're not going to be very forgiving. They're not going to be very patient, but I mean, I mean, round five leaves the light on. Uh, yeah. This was a player Dane Brugler said was the top wide receiver in the class. If he's healthy a year ago, and that's the upside he has. So uh, again, it's, it's a gamble, but uh, he's probably someone I'm going to load up on regardless of what happens. Definitely. No, I'm totally with you. A guy that I'm going to be loading up on a lot that, I feel like every time I watch like anything or I read anything on this guy, I feel like I just love him more and more. And it's George Pickens. Like like George Pickens is like just gets me so excited. And the original thing was shout out to Jetpack Galileo for writing something on him. And he was talking about George Pickens' hip fluidity and how smooth he is coming out of bright. Like, and I don't even know what that is, but I was already excited about it. And he's someone that I continue to get excited about. I know there is some maturity issues and, you know, what he's going to translate to at the next level. I know he struggled with injuries and how he's going to look. But, man, when this guy is healthy and when this guy is on, I feel like he can compete with any wide receiver in this class. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's, like, the wide receiver one, you know, a decade from now. I'm not saying that for sure. I'm not saying he's my wide receiver one, straight London, obviously. But George Pickens, the guy that I can definitely invest in, I'm definitely going to be investing in, someone that gets me excited. How was your model on George Pickens? Uh, it was really high on him. It had him wide receiver six. Um, so the only thing I'll say about this is, uh, yeah, that's a that's a great flag plant. Uh, Greg Cassell, that's his wide receiver one. Really? There's I didn't at know least, There's at least one NFL team that also has a wide receiver one. That's what Greg told me. Wow. But he's a player where draft capital doesn't matter so much, and that's because yeah. of the red flags. I, I'm not a sources guy. But, but I've heard some things that are really scary. Uh, now, you know, people within the mock draft industry are saying round three or later because of these off the field character concern red flags. And then just two days ago, he was involved in a car accident. He was a passenger. Uh, the driver was arrested for reckless driving. And, you know, that's, that's not going to do him any favors. Now NFL teams are sort of scrambling. They're going to have to you know, double check where they were at on him because that was the narrative three months ago. And that, that's not something that's going to help him. But uh, yeah, you want to just talk talent. Uh, talent's, talent's there. I will also say his freshman tape was awesome. Did not love his his tape the following year. And that's usually something of a red flag. Um, that was also true of Justin Ross, by the way. But yeah, just by talent. I mean, yeah, wide receiver, wide receiver six. Uh and so, so if he falls to, you know, wide receiver 11 by draft capital, typically I'd, I'd really move a, a guy down and penalize him for that. But seeing as this is, you know, character related, I, I'm willing to be forgiven because for dynasty owners, you don't really care about that. You just want the talent. So definitely, definitely. And again, the talent is there, but I actually was not aware of that car accident thing. So if he, if he, you know, falls down the draft because of it, you know, that would definitely be concerning. Listen, you said 
Draft capital, regardless of red flags, is still the most predictive you know, measure. And those red flags do get taken into account to draft capital. That's why it's so predictive. So I'm interested to see where he goes. I think if he goes round three or higher, I think I will definitely be investing. But if he happens to fall into the fourth, I think that's that's definitely going to be, you know, I'm going to be bringing out the caution flag a little bit more and being a little bit more worried. But what about tight ends? I know there aren't like tight ends, like feel like the one position that like no one is talking about on Twitter and maybe no one really cares enough about tight ends. But like for better or for worse, you've done a lot of work on rookies like the last couple weeks. So who's like the one tight end for better or worse that people should be talking about right now? Yeah, it's definitely Trey McBride. Uh, Peter King just released his mock, and he had Trey McBride going to Cincy in round one, which would be awesome and so much fun. Uh, Let me just rattle off some stats for you. So he had uh, 1,121 receiving yards in 2021. That's the third best mark by any FBS tight end since at least 2000. Uh, 2020, a 41% yardage market share. 2021, 37%. Those were the best and second best marks by any tight end since 2000. Um, Best ever dominator rating as well. Uh, He averaged 2.84 yards for team pass attempt in 2020, 2.83 in 2021. Those were the best and third best marks by any tight end since at least 2000. Uh, He had a 94.8 receiving grade by PFF in 2021, the second best mark by any FBS tight end since 2014, only Kyle Pitts ranked above him. And so no one's talking about him like Kyle Pitts. And like, granted, Kyle Pitts is a unicorn of all unicorns. Uh, But what if this is a Jason Witten 2.0? I think that's firmly, a Zach Ertz 2.0. I think that's firmly within the realm of possibilities. I, I think he could be a potential PPR cheat code, at least as far as the tight end position goes. Uh, he wasn't great after the catch. That's a concern. Only one touchdown last year, despite 1,100 receiving yards. It's sort of weird, uh, slight red flag. Um, but yeah, he's he's a player I really like, a player my model's really high on. And the narrative on him heading into his pro day was he's extremely unathletic. He's slow. And that just wasn't true. He had what would have been the best speed score of any tight end if you just go by the, the pro day numbers, which of course you have to take with a grain of salt, but I mean, that just further backs up the insane levels of, of raw production and efficiency he produced. Yeah, absolutely. He's definitely someone interesting. And I think the other thing that beyond just the receiving yards, the fact that like he had 90 catches this year as a tight end in college, like, like you don't see that very often. Like, I feel like a lot of the top tight ends are you like, usually like 40 or 50 catch guys, you know, they do really well, but like 90 catches and and some of the stats you listed off, I was not aware of, and those are just ridiculous. And I think if he gets a top two round draft capital, he is definitely someone to keep an eye on. But you know, speaking on that same little little draft capital thing, one other question I have for you, non fantasy related, is there's a lot of debate right now going on the 1.01 of drafts, the first pick of 2022. What's Scott Barrett's pick? Who are you taking? Oh, I'm who taking. Do you, who do you think they're going to take? Do you think I'm they'll taking? Hutchison. No, I'm taking Aiden Hutchinson. What do I think they'll do? I think they'll take Trevon Walker. Cause I, I asked some of my film guys, I'm like, what do you think Trevon Walker versus Aiden Hutchinson? And they were like, well, if the Jags take Trevon Walker, they're just clowns. It's like a total clown move. And like, I mean, who is Trent, Trent Balky? Like did his, did the fans not dress up as clowns and, and protest against him? So like, 
of course that's who they're going to take. Uh, and you know, you could probably, you could probably trade down to, to one Oh three and, and recoup a round two and, and get Trevon Walker there, but no, that's not what they're going to do. This is the Jaguars. So that's my, uh, that's my hot take on the subject. For their for their sake, I just did an episode with Michael Michael Florio today, and and he said that like he thinks the Jags are going to completely like turn this thing around. I should have asked him who he thought the number one pick will be for them, but I don't know if I have as much confidence. But like you said, I don't think that Trent Baalke is a great GM, and I hope you know for their sake that they take Aiden Hutchison. But I also would hope that they let him slide to number two and give Dan Campbell let Aiden Hutchison bite some kneecaps, you know, in his home state. I think that would be absolutely awesome to see, but definitely something that'll be very interesting. But my final question for you today, Scott, what is your 2022 flag plant, whether draft related, fantasy related, whatever, what is the biggest thing you are most confident in that is bold as of this moment? Uh, I'm not, I'm not really good at uh, bold takes. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I will say, I will say Christian Watson has overall wide receiver one upside. That's in wow. his range of outcomes. Uh, I really love the tape. My, my really love the athleticism. You, you talked about RAS score. I have my own metric spork score, uh, which is like that, except it, it looks only at the most predictive uh, athletic variables at each position defined by a certain archetype. And he was one of the top 20 most athletic wide receivers since 2000. Wow. Um, really crushed the weight adjusted stuff, ideal height and weight, th things of that nature. And when I watch the tape, like he just moves in a special way. He glides in a way that only Randy Moss I've seen glide on an NFL field. Though granted, this is against massively inferior competition. It's not even playing in the FBS. The, the bus rate on that is awful, but you also have the, the top two fantasy wide receiver scores of all time, Jerry Rice and Cooper Cup coming out of non-FBS. Uh, he is, like I said, he's, he's big for his size, but uh, worst drop rate, uh, worst contested catch rate. Uh, there's, there's a lot of red flags, but like the upside really pops when you watch him. So uh, I'll say, yeah, overall wide receiver one upside on, on Christian Watson. I love that. I love that. And going with that, with your flag plant, like what's the best landing spot for him? If he's going to be that wide to see one overall, like what's the the best spot for him? Like I know the, the place that I see him mocked to all the time that people love to mention is, is Green Bay. Like is it Green Bay or, you know, could it also be someone like we talked about earlier with Drake London, like the Jets would be a good landing spot with someone like Zach Wilson. Is there, you know, a good place? But you could also be like, Oh, he could go to the Chiefs, you know, and like he'll play with Patrick Mahomes. So of course he's gonna be great. Like, is that right? Where like it, it's it's a tough question, but where do you you know think that he's best suited to play? That's that's realistic, but he's not. Yeah, like so, go ahead. So I just mean like Green Bay is the landing spot of all yeah. landing spots. It's like been one of the most yeah. attractive pre-draft landing spots we've seen in a really long time. Najee Harris to the Steelers under Mike Tomlin was another good one. Uh, this is such a again i've learned my lesson on ceh to not overrate landing spot too much but it's going to be difficult if he falls to to green bay or kansas city and there's an argument you can make that kansas city is even better because like i said he's extremely raw so uh you know uh, uh, more veterans in the locker room less of an onus on him to produce in year one you can make the argument kansas city's better too and and that's where he's going in mock so that would be that would be awesome 
that would be awesome. And we could uh, hopefully revisit this uh, <laughs> on, on my third appearance next year. Absolutely. That'll be that'll be great to be able to talk about that. We'll have to bring up, as we were talking about before the show, we're going to have to bring up The Departed and, and different things <laughs> that, that, that happen. But I think that that is a really good take. And I would also like to see, I mean, like, I think one of the interesting things, and I don't know if this is the same for you as someone that like is a fantasy analyst, as they say, but like I find myself like rooting for like trades to happen, to even to teams that I don't like, you know, just to see like fantasy wise. Like I saw that today, like Darren Waller is being like, you know, heavily, you know, in talks to be traded to Green Bay and stuff like that. And normally I'd be like, no, like I don't want Aaron Rodgers to win the last couple years of his career, but like, you know, Darren Waller and Green Bay, like that would be awesome for fantasy, better for Devontae Adams, better for Darren, I mean, uh, Hunter Renfro to break out. So do you feel that same way at all with like, you know, wanting these players to go to teams that are good, like fantasy wise to watch them be great or, or do you not care enough? Am I just fanboying? No, that, I mean, uh, the draft is my Christmas. I get so excited for the draft oh. and uh, I root for my guys. I was rooting yeah. hard for Elijah Moore to get round one draft capital and like a great landing spot uh, for all the players I drafted. And uh, I'm going to do the same this year. So Christian Watson, Green Bay, I'm, I'm going to go wild. Or if it's Kansas City, same thing. I love or that. Or Justin Ross, round two to the Jaguars. <laughs> that would be awesome. Something like that. That would be absolutely awesome. I love that. And that is a great way to close out today's show. But Scott, thank you so much for coming on. I hope to get you on for your third appearance at some point next offseason. Before we go, we talked about Wes Huber. Greg Cassell, shout out to him real quick. Greg Cassell is also the man. Love Greg Cassell, one of the greatest film analysts to ever live. Hope that he lives for 179 years. But Scott, where can we find your work? Where can we find everything else you're working on? And thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's always a blast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Scott Barrett DFB. Uh, my work's on fantasypoints.com. Uh, you can check out my pin tweet, which is just basically like my rookie draft guide. And uh, that's it. Thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. And don't forget, people, it is fantasy points, not fantasy pros. I still I'm going to I'm going to go to sleep tonight just thinking about how much of a clown I am for that. But happens to the best of us. I was just so excited to see that handsome face and that great beard. But it's been a pleasure to have you. And it's been a pleasure to talk with you listeners today. Thank you so much for listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. Your support means the absolute world again and again. Season three going to be the best ever and we will continue and leave with that but please leave a review you guys already know what to do and i hope you all have a great rest of your day